If you have your Bibles with you this evening, could we turn to John's Gospel in chapter 9? John's Gospel in chapter 9, commencing to read at verse 1. And this is what the word of the Lord hath to say. John's Gospel, chapter 9, and verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must do the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came, seeing. The neighbours, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay. He anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam, and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Ending our reading at verse 11, we trust that the Lord will add with his own divine stamp of blessing and approval the public reading of his precious word. Our brother Mark asked for a title. For the message this evening. And we gave him this title, How Darkness Was Dispelled When Deliverance Was Given or Deliverance Was Granted. For 51 years, an American called Bob Eden was blind. He couldn't see a thing. His world was a hall of 
blackness, sound, and smell. And then following a a very complicated and complex operation performed by one of the top surgeons in the United States, Bob Eden received and regained his sight. He testifies like this. I could only imagine the colour yellow, but now I've seen what it truly looks like. My favourite colour is red. And I love going out of an evening and seeing the perfect shape and circumference of the moon. I like nothing better now than to see a fighter jet racing through the sky before I could only hear the sound. But now I can watch as as its vapour trails behind. Sunset and sunrise as far as I'm concerned, says Bob Eden, is awesome. At night I can now see the stars twinkling in the sockets in the sky and everything is so wonderful. I suppose of all the bodily crosses that a man, a woman, a young person could bear, none would be more greater perhaps than the loss of sight. It separates us from fully appreciating the the real beauty of nature and it cuts us off from some of the greatest enjoyments that life would have to offer. A blind man in many ways is shut up within the confines of his own world. He finds himself so often dependent upon the mercy of others to get through life. Yet those of us who are fortunate to have our sight perhaps cannot fully appreciate or understand the true value and worth of the vision that God has given us. Yet the blind man in this text who we read of, he resembles, you know, many of our family members Many of our friends, perhaps even some, who gather within the church this evening. A people in abstract spiritual darkness when it comes to the things of God. Just as this poor man was born blind in the passage... The Bible says that the the natural man receiveth not the things concerning the kingdom of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And so it's possible this evening for you to be gathered in the service, for you to have 2020 
clear vision and yet be completely blind in relation to God's truth and in relation to God's word. Yes, physically alert, but spiritually blind. I want us this evening for a short while to take a brief look at the events that unfolded in the life of this blind man. Just seven verses we have to consider. I want us to consider the encounter which he experienced with the Lord Jesus. You see, there was a time when he came in his life into contact with the God-man, the Savior of sinners. I want us to see the change that transformed his life, not only for time, but throughout the countless ages of eternity. No, the chapter begins with the word, and as Jesus passed by. And that word, and, is a conjunction word. It simply means that verse 1 of chapter 9 is expressing comments that took place in chapter 8 and it's the latter part of chapter 8 and so we need to go back to to verse 56 and we read these words that the Lord Jesus said to the scribes and, and to the Pharisees your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Of course, I am was one of the titles of Jehovah God. And this enraged the scribes and the Pharisees that a mere man, as far as they were concerned, would have the audacity to take upon himself the name of Jehovah God. And look what happens in verse 59. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. The Lord Jesus is in dialogue. Abraham had died some 1850 years prior to this event, and now these scribes and Pharisees are alarmed, they are enraged. That he's saying before Abraham was, I am Jehovah. And they took stones. I want you to see the the hostility of of the crowd, the, the antagonism they had, the bitterness that they had towards him. I want you to see not only the hostility of the crowd, but see the anxiety expressed in in the temple court. For it says that they took up stones to cast at him. We see the hostility of the crowd. 
The anxiety within the temple court as they looked for those stones to throw at him. And we can see the fury there of the foe. And in the midst of all this anger and all this tension, the Lord, he simply withdraws himself from the crowd. And as he exits the temple, the Bible says in verse 1, and as Jesus passed by, as he removes himself from the fury of the foe, it says he saw a man. What wonderful words they are. Oh, perhaps the vast crowd that gathered in the temple that day had no time and no thought, no consideration for this poor beggar, this poor blind man. But the Lord Jesus Christ noted him. In spite of the, the crowd that was so enraged, calling out for his life and for his very blood, Nonetheless, as he exits the temple, he beholds a man. And he's a man in great need. He's a man in complete darkness. In fact, the Bible says that he was blind from his birth. It wasn't like Bob Eden, who at one stage had sight and lost sight and and regained his sight. This man had never seen the light of day. I want you to see, first of all, the Savior's observation. Whilst the the hostile crowd was raging and running and looking for those stones and rock, the gracious gaze of the Savior, the gracious gaze of the God-man fell upon one who was in complete darkness. He simply takes note of that blind man. And the Bible says he's blind from his birth. This individual had never seen the brightness of the noonday sun. He knew nothing of shapes or colours that we often take for granted. Up until this point in his life, he'd lived in the blackness of darkness. What a sorry sight the Saviour saw that day in the temple courts. But we note not only the Saviour's observation, but we also note the disciples' interrogation of the Saviour. Look what it says, verse 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, And his disciples asked him, saying, Who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, as the the Lord exits the temple, and as he beholds and his eyes fall upon this blind man, It's as if the disciples watch and they look at the gaze of the Savior and they see this poor benighted soul begging in the streets outside of the gates of the temple. And it prompts a question. They begin to inquire and interrogate the Savior and they say, 
Who did sin? That this man is in, in such a condition, in such a state. Who did sin? This man or his parents? You see, their eyes were immediately drawn to the problem that this man found himself in instead of the person. The Lord Jesus Christ had his eyes upon the person. But the disciples noted the problem. How often do we read in scripture that the Lord looked upon them and had compassion upon them? As sheep without a shepherd. The psalmist could say in Psalm 40 and verse 17 that the Lord thinketh upon me. It's a wonderful thought to think that the God of heaven, the maker and creator of the heavens and the earth, would take time to consider your life and to consider my life. Friends, the Lord Jesus is more interested in you tonight than you could be interested in yourself. Bible says that he is the friend that sticketh closer than any brother and he has a heart for the sinner this evening. The Savior's observation, he sees a man. The disciples' interrogation, who did sin, this man or his parents? I want you to see the Lord's explanation in the next few verses. He says in verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In the permissible will of God, the Lord in his unscrutable counsel and in his wisdom had decided that this baby, this man who at one stage was a baby, should be born blind. And he was born blind for this very purpose, that the works of God now were about to be made manifest in him. You know, sometimes, whenever we endure affliction in this life, it can be for a whole host of reasons. You see, some afflictions that you and I are called upon to bear can be satanic afflictions. Think of Job. That time when the sons of God appeared before the Lord, and the Bible says, and Satan was amongst them. And the Lord said, hast thou considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. He's a good man who ensureth evil. And Satan says, you've put a hedge around Job. But if you take that hedge away and allow me to attack, then he'll curse you to your face. And in the permissible will of God, the Lord permitted Satan to attack Job. And you know, Job proved God. In fact, he lost all that he had, all his livestock. 
His body was filled with boils. His children were taken from him. And in the space of a day, he looked out upon the debris and carnage of his life. And his wife came and she said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Look at the, look at the state of us. Though Job couldn't explain it. He lifted his heart to the Lord and he said, but I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Sometimes when we're afflicted, it can be an attack of Satan himself. Sometimes it can be judicial. Remember when the Lord was instituting the Lord's table. And when he had to rebuke his people, for there were, there were those coming to the table who were gluttonous, who were getting drunk at the table of the Lord on the wine. And he says, on one occasion there in Corinthians and chapter 11, that this thing displeased him. He says, many are weak and sickly amongst you as a result of your sin, as a result of your abuse of my table. Many are sick and weakly amongst you and many sleep. You know, the Lord had to take some of them home for his own glory. So sometimes when we see affliction, it can be satanical. Sometimes it can be judicial. The Lord is dealing with us. Sometimes it's natural. The older we get, the more afflictions we will find in these old frames, in these old bodies which we have. It's called the, the aging process. And this Corruptible must take on incorruption one day. But we are going to corrupt. And these bodies will eventually fail us. Sometimes, not only is it satanical or judicial or natural, sometimes it's essential. The Apostle Paul, we read, had a, a thorn in the flesh and some, some commentators believe that Paul suffered with poor eyesight. Yet God still give, gave him the grace to write 14 books in our New Testament canon of Scripture. Sometimes it's, it's mystical. We just don't know. We, we can't fully understand. And you know, that's what the Lord's dealing with on this occasion. The disciples, they were... Unable to fully understand what the Lord was saying. When he said to them. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. This man's dark affliction. Was now about to bring great honor. And great glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Saviour's observation, the disciples' interrogation, the Lord's explanation that this is going to fall out now to the glory of God. 
What about the sovereign's application? Look what it says in verse 6. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. You know, it would have been so easy for the Savior to say, Let there be light to this blind man and for the blind man to see once again. But that didn't happen on this occasion. No, we read in verses 6 and 7 that he begins to unfold a beautiful picture. The Savior bends down and he takes the dust of the earth. You know, that's what you and I were created from. That's what Adam was created from, the mere dust of the earth. And the Lord Jesus, he leans down, stoops down from the realms of glory, and he lifts up the earth. Well, we often say, you know, that he stooped so low to raise so little when he saved our souls. But when I thought of him spitting on the clay, I thought of how that resembles his life being mingled with those whom he came to save. And how he, being fashioned as a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That you and I might be one day fashioned after the counsel of his own will and that we might become clay in the hands of the great potter. He's the friend of sinners and he applied this clay to the eyes of the blind man. Bible teaches us that when the Lord Jesus died, he died for rebels, he died for sinners, he died for me. But I wonder if you've been to Calvary for the cleansing power, and I wonder, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? You see, the Lord didn't have to lean down but he did he didn't have to pick up that dust but he did he didn't have to use his spittle but he did and it was all to paint a picture of what he had done to save poor wretched souls such as you and I the saviour's observation the disciples interrogation the Lord's explanation, the sovereign's application of that clay to the eyes. But we see something else in this passage. We see the sinner's transformation. Look what it says in verse 7. 
And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came, saying. Look at verse 11. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went, I washed, I received my sight. Look at something else in verse 8. The neighbours therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Oh, when this man was touched by the master's hand and transformed, it caused a stir within the neighborhood. And they began to, to question because he became a real trophy of grace. Is not this he that sat and begged who we've watched for years? Yet the remarkable thing is that this man now sits no more. This man now begs no more. Because the blind man is now ready for service. He's ready to give an account of himself. Do you know we come to the closing thoughts. And the closing remarks here. And we can see them can't we in, in verse 10 and 11. Therefore said they unto him. How were thine eyes opened? You see, there was such a stir in the area that the people came to the blind man who before they had no interest in. And they began to inquire of him. But you know, he'd only met the Lord Jesus just moments before. He didn't really know what to say. He wasn't a theologian Remember, he's nothing more than a blind beggar a few moments ago, but he's now a beggar that has received his sight. Look what he says in verse 11. And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus. Friends, do you know the first thing that he did? He spoke about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, if you remember nothing else from the message this evening, just think of the person of Christ. He's the God-man who came from the realms of glory and set his face like a flint to the cross of Calvary to bear your sins. And to bear my sins in his own body on the tree. He spoke of the person of Christ, a man that is called Jesus. What a, what a wonderful name, the name of Jesus. He said, a man that is called Jesus, 
made clay. He spoke not only of the person of Christ, but friends, he spoke of the work of Christ. And what was the work of Christ? Oh, on this occasion, it was, it was making clay out of the dust of the ground. But you know, when we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, we speak not only of his person, but of his great work on the cruel cross of Calvary. When there he took my place, he bore my sins, the Bible says, and my sorrows. He made them his very own when he bore the burden to Calvary and when Christ suffered and he died alone. He spoke of the person of Christ. He spoke of the, the works of Christ he made clay. He spoke of the words of Christ. Look what it says in verse 11. A man that is called Jesus, there's the person, made clay, there's the work, anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam. He spoke of the words of Christ. And friends, the, the Lord Jesus has much to say in Scripture. He says, I'm not willing that any should perish. It's not God's will that you should perish. But that all should come to repentance. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He says, if... You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. He says, I can save you. Thou shalt be saved. Furthermore, he says that neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And the great desire of the God of heaven and the Christ of God this evening is that you would call upon his name. That you'll accept his person. That you'll appreciate his work on the cross. That you will follow after his words and put your faith and trust in him I said he wasn't a theologian. He wasn't a great orator. Look what he says. Verse 11 again. And he answered and said unto him, A man that is called Jesus made clay. He anointed mine eyes, said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Watch this. And I went and washed. And I received sight I went I just did what the Lord asked me to do I washed just as the Lord had commanded and I received my sight and now I'm a living testimony as to the goodness of God in my life and the people 
were astonished. They were absolutely amazed. Friends, the Lord wants to save you this evening. I don't know what keeps you back. I don't know what rebellious thoughts you may have. But the Lord longs to make bare his arm of salvation. He longs to sweep many into the kingdom of God's only begotten Son. I'm sure we have all heard that poem of the violin. It's worth reflecting upon as we conclude our thoughts this evening. It was battered and scarred. And the auctioneer thought it was hardly worth his while to spend so much time with the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, young folks, he cried, and who'll start the bidding for me? Three pounds once, three pounds twice. From the back of the room, a grey-haired man came forward and he picked up the bow. And wiping the dust from the old violin, he tuned up the strings with a flow. That night he played a melody soft and sweet, as sweet as the angels could sing. The music ceased and the auctioneer's voice, so quiet and low. What is bid now for the old violin as he held it up with the bow? A thousand pounds. Who'll give me two? Two thousand. Who'll give me three? Three thousand once. Three thousand twice. And now it's gone for three. The people jeered and, and some inquired. We don't quite understand. What changed its worth? The man replied. Was the touch of the master's hand. And many a life is out of tune with God. All battered and scarred with sin. It's auctioned cheap by a thoughtless world just like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and he's almost gone. But then the master comes. And the foolish crowd can never understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. And Christ wants to put his hand on your life this evening. I wonder, are you willing to put your hand 
and place it in his and make Christ the Lord of your life this evening. Let's bow for prayer, please. I do believe that the Lord has been with us this evening. Maybe you're gathered in tonight and you've thought, you know, that that blind man resembles me. Without God and without hope in this world. If only the Saviour would come to me as he came to the blind man at the temple gate that day. Well, you know, the Lord desires that you place your life in his hands. You may say, but what do I need to do? Do I need to to lift my hand? Do I need to to come to the front? Do I need to, to sign a card? No, nothing like that at all. Just simply pray these few words in the silence of your own heart. Lord Jesus, we thank thee for your word tonight. Thank thee, Lord, for speaking to my soul. I thank thee, Lord, for challenging my life. And I know, Lord, that this word was for me. I want you to come into my life. I want this to be the day of new beginnings for me. And so, Lord, I renounce my sin and I call upon thee to save my soul. Oh, if there are any who have just prayed that brief prayer this evening, then the Lord can and will come into a genuine individual whose cry is genuine this evening. Maybe you could finish that prayer off like this. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for saving my soul. I want to thank you, Lord, for making me a child of God. And I pray that you will now give me the courage to tell some other Christian that I've asked the Lord into my life.